I want to turn the focus of uh, the conference and the strike onto the state and onto the um, actors on the, on the side of the state uh, because I think we're, we're the hidden dimension of this, of this strike, which is not really, which flickers in and out of, of our understanding of it. It may well be some years before we get all the full documentation and the National Archive Centre on this, and perhaps a lot of the documents we really need will have long gone be shredded. But the first point I want to make is this, that Mrs. Thatcher had a much wider agenda than defeating Arthur Scargill, the enemy within, she referred to the NUM. But I would call her, her campaign was against the enemies within. And who were these enemies within? And I'll just list them uh, for you, because all of them were involved in the miners' strike, and they're all... She detested all of them. The National Coal Board, she hated what she called the collaborationist and appeasing attitude of the old National Coal Board. You might say the, the crown and the jewel of the nationalized industries. She put in McDonald, uh, McDonald, McGregor to deal with that, that he had to deal with the, with, the, with the NUM and the strike and the whole future of the coal industry through the existing bureaucrats of the National Coal Board, who were indeed, the, uh, I wouldn't use the word Collaboration, but they were tripartite um, believers in um, consultation and partnership with the, the mining union and with their management. Um, and they, under Ezra and later under Norman Siddle, only had a year, uh, closed as many pits as McGregor wanted to do in his first year, were within that culture of the National Coal Board, which was increasingly important in, as the rundown of the industry took place. Mrs. Thatcher detested them because she saw the whole coal industry and the whole project in political rather than industrial terms. She'd rather import Polish coal than use British coal. She didn't want to invest, and no one's mentioned this, invest in the future of the coal industry in the Vale of Beaver in Leicestershire, in Selby and the other pits in Yorkshire. There was a great future within the overall balance of energy needs for coal. Um, she'd rather get rid of the clapped out pits in South Wales, but not redeploy, restructure the industry to make it modern. I remember going to a, uh, a college that the Coal Board had in, in, uh, in, the, in the Cotswolds, looking at the new technology using in mine, and you might know, say the new kind of coal that could be used, which was anti-pollution. There was a fantastic technological um, advance being made in the coal industry, which could have happened and could have been part of a modern coal industry. Mrs. Thatcher didn't want it. She wanted revenge, not just on the NUM for the defeats of 72, 74, but on the whole post-war settlement. The next enemy she had was, was I'm afraid, the TUC, uh, or, or I'll put it more broadly, the tripartite consensual um, type of trade unionism we had in the post-war years, setting up organisations like ACAS, Manpower Services Commission, Health and Safety Commission, all the other bodies, and Incomes Policy, social contract. Many Tories were in favour of that kind of approach. Mrs Thatcher detested it. Her gurus were Hayek um, and her outriders were were people like Al Sherman and the Centre for Policy Studies and other groups, and neoliberal groups, eccentrics and adventurers. But she liked the, she liked the cut of their gist because she wanted a free market economy and she was prepared to use, in Andrew Gamble's the repressive use of the state to achieve that free market economy. And the defeat of the miners was the way for it. Because 
she didn't want any social democratic alternative. She didn't want Labour's plan for coal, eminently sensible, and as Neil pointed out, uh, carried out in democratic countries like West Germany. She had a much more radical right agenda. Now, of course, the other bodies including in that, I would say the civil service, the Confederation of British Industry. These were also enemies within. And the whole social democratic ethos she wanted to destroy. Now, uh, from time to time, and she did, she was quite prepared to, to lie, as she was, and she was quite prepared to use illegal things, illegal activities. Jonathan Aitken, not an author I normally would read, has written a fascinating biography of Mrs. Thatcher, and he was privy to a lot of her activities during the coal strike. And not only did she, he think, say she spent half a day, half of every day through the strike, on the coal strike. You can see her blue intimidating pen going through all the documents, including the coal stocks in specific coal fields. It was micromanagement of a massive scale. Perhaps she couldn't because he couldn't do anything but that because enemies within did include members of her own party. The Tory wets, the, the people like Jim Pryor, who she regarded as being pathetic and part of the appeasement of the post-war years and had destroyed the, the, old, the old Conservative Party that she wanted to resurrect. So I would not I would just want to add the other, now talk from the enemies, all of them, uh, and the ethos behind them, uh, which covered all of them, to the forces she used in the repression of the state. First of all, McGregor's appointment. I was horrified, well, not entirely surprised, of, of uh, there was a, according to uh, um, Nigel Lawson's memoirs, he consulted um, Joe Gormley about who should be co take over the coal board, uh, and Frank Chappell. Um, both of them were consulted by Lawson of who should, be, uh, who should become chairman of the coal board. And Frank Chappell, he had what he called the Chapp Frank Chappell test. He said, you've got, to, you've got to get someone who's not afraid of Arthur Scargill. Um, and, and he, uh, Joe Gorman, mentioned the name, Roy Mason. Uh, MP, for Barn uh, MP for Barnsley, very, a right-winger, me member of the Labour Party, but, but unfortunately, as Lawson says in his memoirs, when he, met, when he thought of this, he thought, well, I can't suggest that name to Mrs. Thatcher because she'd regard him as being quite impossible. He wasn't right-wing enough for her. So we ended up with McGregor. Um, and McGregor, of course, was, he, as himself said, a hoary old bastard. I remember going to a, a working breakfast, which was a, the, all the, the, the rage with Americans uh, in business, at the, when he was head of the British Steel Corporation. He gave me, and I never forget it, we had breakfast, and he, he said, I want to tell you about my ideal steel mill. He said, I can fire a gun. He was quite violent. And he, I can fire a gun, and the bullet will go right through the mill, and it won't hit anybody, because there will be no workers there. <laughs> his, his idea was a workerless steel mill. And, his, and he hated well, workers' unions a lot. Um, and he made that manifestly clear. It was just the kind of enemy Arthur Scargill could have, could have met, thought in his, in his best nightmares was to have McGregor there. And of course, McGregor's behavior, however, in tactical terms, was completely inept. And Mrs. Thatcher in her memoirs points out how embarrassing he was, not just with putting cardboard boxes over his head and, and being fatuous, but also he was, he was quite easily bamboozled into what appeared to her as sellouts at the Rubens Hotel on the, when they went up to Edinburgh and other places. The word beneficial, other words were used. And to her, they all sounded like surrender to her. And of course, if you're having a dispute about 
pick closures and the criteria to have pick closures, you can find a formal words or not. And it wasn't about pay, uh, uh, money, then it was much more, it's much easier both to claim a victory or uh, claim a defeat, uh, or, or, or suggest you've had a, de uh, had a defeat. So, she wasn't very happy about uh, the way in which um, McGregor uh, conducted himself. Um, but he was very clear when he said in, in to her that kowtowing to the unions, he said to Thatcher, pervades our entire management, our board, and stops only at our feet. So he wanted to, to, to support her in the actions that he was, he was taking. I'm very conscious that time is running out, and I would like, to, however, to end by looking ahead beyond the, the strike, to the consequences of the strike. It made way for what we now neoliberal capitalism in, in, in tooth and claw, and to the full-blown Thatcherism. The privatization of all the state industries, with exception of coal, actually, uh, and British Rail, took place after the miners' strike. Uh, and they cl cleared the way. Uh, at this. The unions were de decimated. We mentioned of the, uh, the, the Dockers dock regulation, the move to Wapping by Murdoch. The unions were weakened by further legislation. Unemployment remained um, stubbornly high. The, the, pit in, the mining industry was wrecked. It was an appalling time. And out of this, we have the rise of what you might say the, uh, the new Labour Party. With all with due respect, the influence of, of that was to both Neil and much more so under, under Blair and Brown. New Labour was born out of the ruins of the coal strike. It took some time to achieve that, and I've often said in more recent years that her greatest achievement was not the destruction in her eyes of the coal industry or getting rid of the appeasement and the, the post-war settlement, but the creation of a new Labour Party, a new Labour Party dedicated to market econ economics, and of course that is what we have have today. It all stems from the miners' strike. The miners' strike is indeed the seminal event politically and industrially in post-war Britain. Thank you, thank you Robert, very much. So, um,